You're now in the Jazz Tacker Podcast. Very excited to be sitting with Mr. Josh Finley from the Finley Mortgage Team. How you doing, brother? What's going on, man? Thanks so much for having me on. I didn't even ask you off here. We were talking there for 45, 50, 60 seconds there. Um, where are you signing in from today? I am out of the Kitchener-Waterloo area. So is 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 that where offices as well? Like how you guys set up, mind you now, like with COVID and stuff, do you guys do you guys work all from home? What, what What's kind of uh, your logistics right now? Yeah, head office is in Guelph. So we have a head office there in Guelph, Ontario. Um, uh our agents aren't going into the office right now at the moment we're all working remotely uh so we are leveraging our our video conferencing a lot you know a lot of zoom calls but uh you know it's definitely allowed us to be able to communicate in different ways so there's some advantages to uh to working from home look i agree with you man i got i I got a team of uh what are we at now 44 real estate agents myself and my business partner and i have 11 support staff um and 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 so once we got into lockdown a little over a year ago obviously i mean to be honest with you josh i I thought this thing was gonna last two weeks i told the crew (laughs) i go everyone like legit man i told everyone to take a two week vacation. I'll see you back here in two weeks. I was like, oh, this is perfect for me as well. I'm not a big vacationer. I mean, I do take a couple of weeks with the fam and stuff, but um, little did I know. But what we decided to do once we realized it was going to go longer is we set one of these Zoom conferences, Zoom meetings up, and we just let it run all day. Like we're back in it again now. We just let these Zoom meetings run all day, 8.30 to about 6 p.m. And we just work. Like there's one running right now. We call it our virtual office. And when I'm done this and just before this, I was chit-chatting with the crew in there. And if somebody needs to take a call, they go do their call. Like it, it, in some ways, I actually found that we've been more productive. I personally am such a culture guy, though. Like I need people around. I need to brainstorm. We have a cu- couple of white boards around me here i mean they're they're always full right like how have you guys found like how have you kind of navigated through that all like in terms of the culture because correct me if i'm wrong and 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 obviously my viewers and listeners want to know like it's the finley mortgage team and as i was looking you guys up on your site and stuff i see a lot of finley's so that means there's (laughs) it's a family-run business i take it yeah, so we're kind of in a different position than you. So we're kind of like startup mode. Um, so our my business partner, I know Aaron, so most people associate just Aaron and myself, but we have Scott Finlay. So Scott is my uncle, also one of our the owners of our company. Um, Scott is like like the wizard. Like he brought us in. He's been doing this for about 17 years. He has a ton of experience in like land development, private financing, and we were able to really enter the space and most brokers learn that stuff later on in their career we were like baptized in this as soon as we got in it was like here you go private lending and and development financing and and that's how we learned and then we obviously figured out how to do regular mortgages but um you know the the culture aspect of it it, it's really important because what we're doing right now is we're trying to exponentially grow and it's working we have about 11 of us now we opened up our own brokerage january so we're moving at light speed but you know creating that that culture, you know, while you're so new and and you really haven't had the ability to have everybody in the office, it's, it's, it's really, it's a challenging because everybody's trying to learn, everybody's trying to create their own ways in which they're doing business. 
Um, but we're trying to create that culture through through technology at the moment, but I'm really looking forward to it. I'm the same way. Like I, I need to be around people. I need to bounce ideas off people. Like I'm moving a million miles a minute. So I need everybody else to do the same, you know, start working on ideas and collaborating together. Well, congratulations. I mean, big kudos to you guys, your, your, your uncle um, and the whole squad there. Like I, I mean, I, yes, we have 44 agents, 11 support staff. We've been doing this for 16 years, but we're still in startup mode. Like the <laughs> amount of friggin' times I've personally hit my head against the wall, my business partner, my leadership team. I mean, it's on a consistent basis. In fact, I always say to the crew anyways, guys, if we're not making mistakes around here, we're not doing something that's big enough. Right. And so 100%. I like, I like what you said in terms of startup mode, um, because I, it's a, it's a good reminder for us as well, that we should always kind of be in startup mode. In fact, I heard Jeff Bezos not too long ago, like literally less than a year ago, say that Amazon is still in startup mode. You know what I mean? Because it keeps the creative going and all that. Um, in terms of mortgages, buddy, because that's what I know my a lot of the listeners um, want to talk about. Let's go. Let's go kind of macro, and then and then we'll get into the micro a little bit. What do you guys specialize in? Is it is it residential mortgages? Is it commercial? Is it both? Is it refinancing? Like, where do you guys specialize? Sure. So we're a little bit different. We don't have a specialization per se. You know, we okay. focus on helping people scale their portfolio whether that's scaling from one to four properties, whether that's moving into multifamily, whether that's buying large multifamilies um, and buildings, you know, we, we do all of it. So we do residential, commercial, everything in between, but we specifically specialize in helping people scale their portfolios. And, and by doing that, everybody has a very unique situation. And as most people have found out the bank you know, isn't your friend once you have, you know, two or three properties. They're your friend if you have perfect T4 income and an 800 credit score. But if you don't and you have ambitions to buy real estate, it's very difficult. So we're trying to bridge that gap. Yeah, look, I, I, I always mention it with the bank, right? They're not a nonprofit organization. So the red bank's not going to tell you about the blue bank. The blue bank's not going to tell you about the green bank. They're not, they're not bad people. It's just that they're in it for themselves. And so if somebody, if one of those other banks has a better rate or better terms, cause it's not always rate, but I know people like to speak about that, but I, I like to look at terms in general. Um, Look, they're not going to the red one's not going to tell you about the green one where independent mortgage brokers like yourselves, like what do you have access to? I've been quoting. You're going to correct me and keep me honest right now, buddy. Sure. I've been quoting to people that the reason you should one of the main reasons you should work with independent mortgage brokers is because they're unbiased. It doesn't matter if if you get the mortgage from bank A or bank B. It's all the same to you guys. You just want to make sure that as independent mortgage brokers, investors and clients are happy. So they introduce you to more people. But one of the biggest reasons is that you have access, and this is where you need to keep me honest, that you probably have access to like over 477 lenders in the country, i.e. trust companies and credit unions, private lenders. How far off am I when I say 477? Oh, you're, 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 right, you're right on the head, man. So depending on 
where you necessarily have your brokerage, whether you work for like a Verico franchise or like a Dominion franchise, the majority of brokers work for large umbrella corporations. And those corporations allow us to have access to all the lenders. You know, we got Scotia, First National, MCAP, all the credit unions, private lenders. Like private lenders are a little bit more of a relationship-based thing. And mm-hmm. you're going to want to work with a, a broker who has those relationships with the private mortgage investment corporations and their network. But for the most part, most brokers have access to different lenders and that allows you to really you know, figure out what product is is the best. At, at the end of the day, my team, I can't offer you anything better than what the bank can offer you in regards to a rate. If anything, the bank undercuts us. Now, what we can do is offer you a better experience. You know, you can call me, I'll answer the phone. You know, the how how valuable that is to have a personal relationship with somebody who's going to pick up the phone and answer a question or be responsible for you know, the, your needs and your wants and understands that you want to grow, that maybe you have, you know, two kids that you are putting them through college, you know, your goals are important. And if you don't working, you're not working with somebody who doesn't know your goals or doesn't know fundamentally what you want and what the next steps are going to be, you're wasting your time. Why are you going to go for somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing? Yeah, look, I think you guys took it back to how it used to be like the old school days, right? In terms of banking, where you get that connection with somebody, right? Like I used to actually work in telephone banking. And so people would call me and and, and want to move money around. And that was awesome. But they didn't even actually have a direct line to me. It was just they would call the 1-800 number. And I was one of the guys that picked it up. But even way before that, you would go in. You'd sit down with your banker. He or she was the person who knew everything about you. Like for scalability, I get why the bank doesn't do that anymore. But with you guys and as an independent mortgage worker, you, you, you're doing all the homework. You're doing all the research. You're going to figure out the best rate of terms. Yeah, the bank might be able to beat it by a few basis points, like, not, like nothing major here. Like, mm-hmm. what do we like? You know what I mean? And so for the fact that you're going to do all the research, you're going to do all the homework, you're going to put all the documents together and you you have the ability to shop their 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 application to so many lenders i mean one person forget 477 even if you have to go to the five six major banks like for you to take your application and go to all those but how much time is that and you know your credit is going to get affected because you're going to all these places and you're Mm -hmm. looking like a credit seeker where you go sit down with someone like josh and 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 the crew over there they're going to pull that credit once and then they're going to shop shop for you they're gonna try to get you the best deal so for me i mean it's always been a no-brainer man like if i you know my wallet's over there but if if i open it up i have in my in my wallet all of those colors i mentioned to you like i have a credit card here i have a bank card here you have a credit card there i have no relationship i have no loyalty with any of the banks because it's not like they've ever been giving me that experience where my mortgage brokers i have two or three that i do a lot of business with in terms of introduce my clients to, but personally as well, because I have that relationship. So I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned, and, and I appreciate the honesty, and I'm sure my viewers and listeners do as well, Josh, like when you're talking about, yeah, they might be able to give you a better rate, but here's what we're able to offer as well. I also love, and this is what I really want you to dive into, because you said some, you said a real buzzword for me. You said build out the portfolio, right? And I think that is, so important get that one property great but 
and, and, and I think anyone who got their mortgage license can get you that one property. Yeah. Any any like bank teller could 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 uh, get you that first property. But it takes someone like you guys to look at the portfolio from a 30,000 foot view to figure out, hey, Jazz, how are we going to get you your 18th property? or your 82nd property, right? And so how do you go about doing that? Yeah, well, very first step is figuring out goals, right? Like, what are your long-term goals and why are you doing this? And and from there, we can figure it out. So if you have the ability to be able to create income, like you just want to create income, then that's, that's great. We can set up a plan for that. But if you plan on, you know, buying a property, renovating it, pulling cash out, and, and buying the next one, you know, we can plan out the most cost-effective way to do that. Most people don't know that if you take a fixed mortgage, you know, you have a, an IRD penalty, which is an interest rate differential penalty. It's going to cost you a fortune to break if you're in a five-year term. And, you know, that, that's going to stop you right there in your tracks. So being able to plan out how you're going to source your capital for your next purchase, um, you know, what your pr- progression is. Like if you're capped on how much income you can show because you're in a salary position, you know, maybe buying one or two or three and then looking at what maybe a fiveplex looks like because a fiveplex in a secondary market, you don't have to qualify under your personal debt obligations anymore. That's a commercial mortgage. You know, you start looking at assets that are self-sustaining. So, you know, we find ways to help people in certain situations like business owners who don't show anything on a T1, but are very cash liquid. Like, you know, we can find ways to help people scale um, and ways that in which maybe a credit union who has, you know, a different product and services in a different way than maybe a bank would, you know, a lot of people are going to say no, but it's the solutions and products that are offered in the market. And, you know, working with a broker who has relationships with all those different lenders is what's going to essentially be the key to it. So first question is obviously what, what is your goal and, and like long-term, how are you going to get the capital? Is there a plan to get the capital to be able to scale? And then, you know, your qualification at the end of the day, what does that look like? And what does it look like in five years and 10 years? And now, so what do you, like at the time of this recording, we're right now, you know, start of Q2 2021. Um, let's talk about the, the the first quarter. If you can start to think of some of your clients um, while, I, while I phrase this question for you. In this first quarter, what did you see most investors go with? Like, are you are they going with variable rates? Are they going fixed rates? I know you get this question all the time. Like, what as an investor should I do if I'm thinking about? Because majority of my listeners, they know, they know all we do is talk about the boring real estate, the stuff that's like. <laughs> watching paint dry, watching grass grow, which is buy and hold so you can refinance, pull out the equity and buy more, which I want to go through that with you and how you guys help investors do that. But what do you what did you see most people go with? And and, and are you forecasting a change moving forward between between Q2, Q3? Um, variable fix? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Man? That's a great question. Um, so in Q1, you know, we saw a lot of people take advantage of rock bottom fixed rates. Like it was probably the lowest fixed rate you're ever going to see. You're going to tell your grandkids one day they were giving out money for free. Like it, it, it literally unprecedented. You'll never see it again. Um, and it's such a great point to that, Josh, because look, I think 
like when you said you're going to be telling your grandkids, here's the thing. There's also people who are listening right now and they know I'm, I don't push people to do anything. I don't convince people. I sort like if this is great for you. Awesome. Let's do it. And if not, that's okay. Wait for something else. They've heard me say that thousands of times, but there's going to be some people who are, who are listening right now. And, and, and the question I like to ask them is what did you tell your grandkids after you told them that they were that the banks and 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 lenders were giving away money for free. Did you do something? Because I think your grandchildren are going to ask, like, Granddad, Grandma, what did you guys do afterwards? And if your answer is nothing, you might want to like you might you need to think about that, right? Because we have never seen interest rates this low. And if the if the analogy is true that there it's free, it's like giving away free money. What did you as an investor do? Because if the answer is nothing, I have a feeling, I have a feeling you're going to be kicking yourself. But continue, Josh. Completely agree. I Unprecedented times, you know, it could have went either way. Really, really, like a lot of people took advantage of the low fixed rates. Now, the majority of, of my clients, they took, they took a look at, at obviously a variable rate as well. You know, variable rate was prime minus one. You're still looking at the mid ones, which is unbelievable. Um Specifically, they take it because of the three-month interest penalty to break. It costs very little to be able to restructure um, your loan if that's something you, a strategy you're looking to do. Um, looking into the future, obviously, the last month, fixed rates have gone up. Um, the bond market has seen some increase in speculators, obviously, over time. So they think the economy is going to be going back so that the bond uh, rates are increasing, which is then causing the fixed rates to increase. We are seeing slow increases in fixed rates over time. If anybody's keeping in, in touch with the market at the moment, variable rate hasn't moved. So variable rate um, is currently stagnant. Now, I think variable rate is going to stay where it is until 2023 when the Bank and of Canada has- Why do you think that, Josh? Sorry to cut you off, buddy. Why do you think that? Sure. So so the Bank of Canada, so variable rate is pegged off of the uh, Bank of Canada overnight lending rate. And the Bank of Canada specifically went out and said they're not planning on increasing that rate until 2023 when they believe the economy is going to get back to, I guess, levels in which you know, they can sustain an increase in, in rate. So I think you're okay with variable for now. Um, you might want to get into an adjustable mortgage where you can take a variable rate for now. And then as you think the economy is changing or we get closer to that 2023 target, you can then flip into a fixed rate with your bank. Um, but I think fixed rate is going to increase over time. You know, I think when the pandemic ends, all those people who are in variable rates are going to get a little bit of a shock um, because rates are going to go up. The economy has to, it has to, Inflation's going to hit. Rates it can't are gonna go any go lower. Up. It can't, it, it can't. <laughs> yeah. And, it's basically and, and, free as it is. Exactly. Um, and we would definitely not want to get into negative interest rates. I mean, if you look at what happened to the economy um, in Europe. Japan, I mean, if you want an idea of what happens when you get it, it, it's it's a black hole that you just can't get out of. It takes forever to get back out if you ever do. In terms of concepts. Right. Right. Um, if you if you. If you had to put your money on something, and I'm not trying to quote you here, just kind of want to uh, get your thoughts on it. You mentioned variable rates probably going up mid 2023, fixed rates. Do you kind of, like at the end of 2021? So we got another seven months or so. Where do you see that hat? Like, where do you see that going? Because right now, as of today, can you still get a fixed rate for say 2%? Uh, and under yeah. 2%? 
Yeah, the insured fixed rates right now are around 2%. Okay, and so where do you think that they might go to by the end of the year? Just to give some of my listeners some context, and and they might be like literally in a purchase right now, and so at least they can kind of, we can help them through that. I'd say probably two and a half, three percent. Yeah. So that's not that. Maybe half a point, a point. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I personally don't believe that that's big of a, that's that big of a jump because back in 2006, I bought my first property and we paid four and a half percent on a five year fixed. And my brothers and I, because we each bought homes in the same area, um, we thought we robbed the bank. Like we were like, (laughs) holy crap bro like we just got four and a half percent why because we were just coming off of six percent six and a half percent you know it wasn't probably it didn't probably hit seven but six to six and a half percent and so if the rates do jump up to even two and a half percent let's not forget that at one time there were 11 and 14 percent but the average was always around five you know, yeah, I, it's an interesting concept that I've asked myself this before. What happens if we get in a situation like that? And to be completely honest with you, I don't think our economy can sustain an interest rate hike like that. We are now stress testing at 5.25 as of June 1st. But I think you would have serious delinquencies. Most people are maxing out their GDS, TDS ratios. Like it's, I can't foresee the economy being able to support anything more than what we're stress testing at. Yeah, look, and if, I think if we look back at history, I think uh, uh, Bank of Canada and just the government in Canada here knows that the housing sector brings in so much money into the economy, right? I think the last number that came out was back in early 2020. I'm going to have my, my, my research team just double check this and fact check me on this, but I think it was 2020 where every time someone purchased a home, approximately $87,000 was pumped into the economy. So every one purchase, that's, that's a lot of money, right? Like you're talking about real estate commissions, you're talking about land transfer taxes, you're talking about uh, 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 people going to Home Depot and movers and paint, like all of that stuff. It was like around 87,000. And I'm, now that I actually think about it, because I threw in real estate fees and I'm a broker, I get it. Um, it's probably, and land transfer. Probably taxes, more. Yeah. I was about to say, you know, when you start to actually pump into, when you start to calculate, sorry, the, the, the land transfer taxes, you probably are looking uh, more. You mentioned June 1st. What is happening on June 1st, 2021? Sure. So I guess the government came out the other day and nothing has been set in stone yet, but they specifically went out and said that the new qualifying rate is now going to be 5.25. We're currently qualifying at 4.79. So that's going to change your qualification if you're pre-approved right now about like three or 4%. So if you're purchasing at the very max of your pre-approval, I would highly recommend speaking to your mortgage professional or banker to ensure that you can qualify for the loan that you're getting. So walk us through that, though. So somebody's going to come to you and say, Josh, I want to purchase a property. Is it different for a first-time homebuyer or an investor? Nope. Okay. So they come to you, they're going to talk to you, and then you're going to get all their information. And and then when you put in uh, uh, that application to one of your 477 lenders, that qualification rate that that underwriter is going to use is going to be at 5.25%. Even though that's not the interest rate on the mortgage, 
it's going to be at 5.25%. Am I correct so far? That is correct. Okay. So I like my personal take on this, because the last time this happened was 2018 or 19, was it? I think it was 2019, was it not? It moves, it moves every now and again. So they I think they brought it down after you know, Corona hit as well. And then it fluctuates depending on what's going on in the market. Okay. And my take was on it. I actually didn't mind it, to be honest with you, because it's going to protect the younger generation from buying like stupidness, right? Like I need to buy a 3000 square foot home because my best friend bought a 2800 square foot home, right? Like it, like, you know, some people call it keeping up with the Joneses and Brampton. We call it keeping up with the Sings. Like that's just what they do there. You know, like cousin bought 27. I got to buy 3000, right? Um, I'm Punjabi. So I can say that Josh, we're good. Um, (laughs) and, and, And so I think it protects, I think it protects people from, from 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 buying too much where in the states specifically back in 2008 2009 i mean if you could walk talk and chew gum at the same time they were giving you a mortgage they right? had ninja loans no income no job that that's it i mean we all know about the ninja loans here in canada it doesn't work like that i mean josh you can you're gonna talk you can talk to this like you can have a really good salary fantastic credit a really good down payment but the lender still puts you through the ringer. Yeah, like, it's it's tough. Like you know, they they definitely don't make buying a house easy. You know, to, especially when house prices are increasing at such an alarming rate. The floor to enter the market now is difficult. Being able to purchase a home by yourself or without the help from a parent is becoming extremely difficult for to get anything you know above four hundred thousand by yourself. Um, you know, we're seeing obviously this stress test does affect primarily the people who are looking to enter the market as an entry point, but it also, if you take a look at all the transactions that are happening, even just my book of business that I've done in the last six months, I'd say 60, 70% are refinances. People are taking advantage of the 20% equity jump that happened this year. You know, and, and I think that might've been a little bit of a bandaid fix to slow the market. I mean, I don't think it's done anything, but it's stopping people from accessing that much more equity in their property that's gone up 20% in the last six months, 12 months. You said one of my favorite terms, refinancing, because I think that's 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 something that the the world of real estate investing offers that no other investment vehicle does. You can pull out equity, keep the asset and go grow out the portfolio. I'm going to have you talk about the actual process. And if you don't mind, Josh, I mean, you and I do this for clients we help clients do this. We do this personally. And so we have a tendency to go over this very, very quickly. And so I'm going to ask you a favor, and I want you to kind of go through it slowly in terms of how you as a broker do a refinance for someone. Sure. Yeah, definitely. So for anybody who doesn't know what a refinance is, um, a refinance is restructuring the loan you currently have on your home to essentially pull out cash um, and restructure as a new first mortgage, usually. Um, so what would happen is you'd come to a broker. Um, you know, we would do the same thing as the process you did with uh, a purchase. So we take in all of your application. Um, we take a look at your personal income, any debt that you might have. We take a look at your monthly debt obligations. So car payments, student loans, lines of credit, credit cards, you know, all those things are valued at different, uh, at different amounts. So for example, if you have a car loan, 
your car loan is a fixed uh, amount. So we use that fixed amount as a monthly payment. Now, if you have a, uh, a line of credit, you know, the line of credit, if it's unsecured, we're actually going to have to use 3% of the outstanding balance as a monthly payment. Now that's the same for any unsecured piece of debt. So that could be a credit card, a line of credit, 3% of the outstanding balance is your monthly payment. If it's a home equity line of credit and it's secured, we can amortize it out and lower the payment to make it, you know, to make it look a little bit better on an application, but we do need to take into consideration all of your debt. Now, as we were just saying, you know, your qualification is based off of, you know, 5.25 as of June 1st. So we're going to take a look at your gross debt service, which is essentially all of the costs associated with the home. So your new mortgage payment, your property tax payment, and your heat. And now I'm going to have to take into consideration all those payments for all of your properties. Um, and then we take a look at your total debt service, which is the second ratio we look at. The TDS takes a look at everything I just said, plus any outside debt, so your car payments, student loans, anything like that. If depending on your credit score, so if it's above 680, we're allowed to use something called relaxed ratios, which allows us to qualify 39% GDS and 44% TDS, meaning 44% of your gross annual household income can go towards all of your expenses in your house. And that's with a conventional lender, that's with an A lender. Now we can go down the B lender path, but the, the, the alternative lender path allows you to be a little bit more creative when it comes to using rental income and ratios. You can go a little bit higher. You're not really limited to your credit score. That's how we help people scale their rental portfolios. But um, getting back to the, to the refinance, um, we would make sure your ratios are in line and then you can restructure your new first mortgage um, up to 80% of the value of the current value of the property. Um, we would get a new commitment. So essentially a new mortgage document. It would outline some of the conditions that would be required. We'd have to verify your income, um, any external information. So your current, your, any mortgage that you have for other properties, property taxes, anything like that. And uh, just make sure everything is in line with the ratios, verify the information, verify your employment and uh, get that new appraisal, verifying the value. And essentially we just send it off to the lender. They verify the information, goes to the lawyer, they close the transaction. And goes right into your checking account or savings account. That's correct. Tax-free. Tax-free, so, borrowed money. You don't pay You don't pay tax on borrowed money, guys. And that's, that is where also the magic is, right? For me that legally it's the only way I, I can get money into my account tax-free right and so i love that aspect of it now the, the other cool thing is you can take that money to niagara or las vegas put it on black or red nobody cares you could do what you want but obviously with jazz and josh talking here the two j's i definitely think you should take that and 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 take it over and invest into an income property you also mentioned A and B lenders. So in the A lenders bucket, I mean, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, it's, it's, it's the, the, the six major banks um, and some of the, is it, is it just the six major banks or who else is in that A lender bucket? No, so yeah, like credit unions offer A products as well. So they have very aggressive A products. So credit unions um, and regular, just essentially banks, uh, the, the big six as well. Now, now, when you start to scale out people's prop uh, portfolio, you mentioned that 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 B lenders is an option. 
what is the process there? So someone's listening right now. They got five properties, okay, and they want to, and, and, and I know, and you know out of experience, some of these A lenders don't like, like they don't like to finance on the 6th, 7th, and 8th. I mean, mm-hmm. you correct me if I'm wrong. Like, oh, you're right. Yeah, okay. So now what is your strategy there? Is that now taking, that, taking this client, this person that's listening or watching, taking them to a B lender? So it really depends on the debt servicing. Like if you are maxing out your debt servicing, meaning we can't, we can't get any more debt to your ratios on the A side, then we do look at, at, at a B lender scenario. And one of the main advantages of using one of these lenders is how they use rental income. So for anybody who doesn't know, an A lender, like a big five bank, usually they will use 50% of the rental income on your rental and they will then add it to your gross income to increase your gross income. And then you need to qualify for the loan. So you're taking on essentially like 50% of all the debt as well, right? So for somebody to be able to scale effectively, if you can't increase your, your income on paper, it's very difficult to do. Now a B lender, this is where the magic happens. So a B lender will take a 75 to 80% of the rental income on each property and they will offset it, meaning instead of adding it to your gross income, they will use that amount and they will directly offset any liability that that property has. Property taxes, mortgage payment, and heating cost. So you're essentially qualifying for 80% less of debt on each property. So you're able to stretch your income to be able to get more properties in. And one of the advantages is also they allow for higher debt servicing ratios. So they can go to about 50% um, TDS, which is a little bit higher than where the conventional lenders are at at the moment. Um, and some of them have some really cool debt calculators that allow you to use uh, a rental surplus depending on how much cash flow your entire portfolio has. So you might not have a cash flowing asset, but if you have two or three that are, are it might make up the difference to help you be able to use the overall cash flow to get you into the next property. Now, in terms of commercial financing you mentioned about the five doors and above um i i've heard so many clients come to me and say jazz it's five doors and above so they're not going to look at me they're only looking at the rental income can we just kind of put that to bed i mean what what exactly do happens when it's five doors and above in commercial financing that is a great question i hear that all the time as well i'm glad you brought that up um that's not the case, guys. So let's just put that to bed right now. You still need to be a decent buyer. You can't be a degenerate. You can't have no job. Like you need, like the bank still needs to have some faith that you have the ability to be able to make those payments. Now, the way it works for commercial financing is a lender is going to do something called a debt service coverage ratio. And that essentially looks like how much debt can this property support? So usually banks are around 1.15 to 1.25 DSCR, meaning for every dollar it costs, they want to see 15 to 25 cents is being made on that property. And that means it's a self-sustaining asset, right? So there's a handful of ways we do that. You know, a, a seller, if you're going to buy a property, will give you the historical expenses. We take a look at um, some very specific things such as property taxes, uh, vacancy, maintenance costs. We have certain metrics that we use. Um, and then we just essentially take a look at the rent roll. And if that ratio is within you know, their parameters, they'll qualify for the loan. And then we get into the next step, personal net worth statements. You know, what do you do for a living? 
do you have uh, capital to be able to fix something if, if the property you know breaks down? Like these five units, they don't have a little water heater. They have a giant boiler system. Do you have 15 or $20,000 in your bank account to be able to deal with that? So, you know, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily you don't have any job. You can just go buy this because it's probably not going to fly with lenders. But if you necessarily don't have, you don't show a lot on paper, for example, because you're a business owner, uh, but you have your liquid or you have some savings or, you know, you're able to get into these properties, then, you know, start looking at this as an option because it's extremely viable to be able to scale your portfolio by buying five units and up. Um, you essentially start purchasing it as a business. You purchase it in a corporation, it has cash flow, it has expenses. Um, this is definitely the way to scale if you have some capital. Now, one of the problems is if you're buying an underperforming asset, and it doesn't meet the ratios, you either need to come up with a bunch of cash to be able to make, get the ratios in line. So you have to be decently liquid or, you know, or you got to buy it privately, reposition the property and then refinance in new conventional lending, which, you know, we see a lot of people taking advantage of because the lift comes from the net operating income, right? It comes from you know, what the tenant turnover and being able to increase the actual rent in the property, which, you know, when people start to realize that, the value of the property is associated with that, not necessarily the recent sales in the area. A light bulb usually goes off because you can make a lot more money doing that than than uh, purchasing regular property. A hundred percent. In terms of corporations, if one was to be buying a corporation, not necessarily five doors and above, let's just call it a single family home, uh, a, a condo. Do, do, do the do the qualification? Uh, it, does the qualification process change like in, in, in terms of even the down payment? I, I, like I, I've been through this a couple of times and some lenders are okay with the 20%, but majority go down the 25% and even higher sometimes. Are you still finding that? What's going on out there if, if one wanted to buy under their corporation? Do they need to be prepared to put down more money or as an investor, can they still do 20% down? Sure. So uh to be completely honest, a lot of the lenders don't allow the broker channel to be able to you know, allow people to purchase residential real estate in a holding corporation anymore. A lot of them have just moved away from it. There are a handful of solutions available still, um, but a lot of them have moved away from allowing brokers to do it. Now, some banks allow direct access to it if you go into the branch and speak to them. Um, and they, depending on who you are, you know, they, they very well might uh, increase the down payment requirement. So now you have noticed, sorry, go ahead. They're, they're moving away from it specifically because of sheltering qualification, right? Like they're, it's obviously becoming a problem. I, Josh, I'm so appreciative, my man, on how you broke down some of the basics of, of, of getting qualified for a mortgage. I mean, we, 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 we spoke about everything in terms of down payment requirements, what TDSR and GDSR. I mean, a lot of my listeners who have actually even purchased before had no clue what any of this stuff meant. And they just went to the bank or mm -hmm. they maybe, maybe got lucky and they knew a broker, but that was their first property. And now they're looking for their second and their third. And, and, and as they hear and watch my content, they know the importance of refinancing. And so how you broke it down, you really did take your time through that whole process. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, your team, what's the best place? Like, like what's the easiest way to get in touch with you and your team? 
Well, feel free to give me a call. I mean, we can we can drop my phone number. I, I, I leave my personal phone on. I give it to everybody. You know, feel free to give me a call. I answer my phone. If I don't answer it, I'll call you back. I promise. I um, love that. Like, I like what you said earlier. There was no bullshitting. You said you can give me a call and that's that personal, uh, personal touch. Make sure you to uh, make sure you, Josh, give me that number. Um, yeah. So my team puts it in the descriptions. But is there a site, an email? What else can uh, what else did you want to let people know about? Yeah, check us out on Instagram, uh, you know, Finlay team on Instagram, you know, we have a YouTube channel, we drop a lot of content on YouTube, uh, we're trying to obviously push more of that out, trying to keep up with you, Jess. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you can meet, you can go to our website, um, you know, we have a website, we'll leave it in the description below. Um, you know, feel free to call any of us, myself or Aaron, you know, we are always available, we're always trying to find solutions. Um, we work 24-7, 365. As I said, we're in startup mode. I love it. I love it, my man. I love the hunger. I could see it in your eyes. I could hear it in your voice. I really, really appreciate you dropping so many gems for my listeners and my viewers, my man. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me on, man. Looking forward to the next one. You're now in the Jazz Tacker Podcast.